We turn now to God's Word as found in the second letter of Timothy, the first chapter, reading at the third verse. Listen again for God's Word. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. The word of the Lord. We continue to reflect in our sermons on, on various women we find in the biblical texts. Today we read about Lois and Eunice, two women mentioned specifically by name, which as we have discovered is not always the case. We're given their names, but, but not much else. We can add to it that in Acts we're told that Timothy's mother was a devout Jew, but, but in this letter we don't know much, except they were important in Timothy's development of faith. Perhaps it's an invitation for us to imagine the role Grandmother Lois and Mother Eunice played in the life of Timothy, who will go on to work with Paul and Silas spreading Christianity throughout their region of the world. Some scholars suggest this letter references ancestors and then lists Eunice and Lois by name to give credence to the Christian faith in the, the Greco-Roman world that greatly valued religions and gods that had been passed down from their ancestors in a way trying to, to, to give Christianity that same position, that same credibility in people's minds. To me, the reference to Eunice... Eunice and Lois begs the question, can a mother or a grandmother make me do it? That is, can they make me become a faithful Christian? As I read this passage, I was reminded of of my Southern Baptist friends growing up who used to tell me that they're only first-generation Christians. I used to puzzle over that. I thought it was sort of odd, particularly since most of us are brought to church by our, our parents or grandparents. On the other hand, I grew to recognize their point. We cannot inherit our confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Each of us has to lay that claim for ourselves. We have to say that we believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. The biblical text, however, is full of connectedness through the generations. The faith of, uh, of Timothy traces back to those who first professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that he was resurrected and then shared that faith with others. Before Christ, God's people would trace their faith back to the great leaders of Israel. 
No one in the biblical text comes to faith in a vacuum. There always seems to be someone inviting them or, or someone looking for something. But at the moment we profess our faith, it is something no one else can do for us. Our confirmands are two-thirds of the way through, I think, confirmation. We begin the year by, by pointing them toward the question, do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It is the question for each of them. Collectively, they go through the process together, but they answer the question each individually. Parents can make them come to confirmation. Well, usually they can. But the parents cannot make them profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Many of the confirmants were baptized as infants, so when they profess their faith, they're confirming the profession of faith their parents made at their baptism. But even then, they're laying claim to the faith on their own. Can my mother or grandmother make me a Christian? At this point in the sermon, I would answer a tentative no with the strong reminder that each of us may, must lay claim to our faith in Jesus Christ. But we do recognize the influence of others. Or this part of the sermon might be labeled, yes, my mother or grandmother can make me do it. Again, the confirmation process tells us something about the roles other people play in our lives. Each confirmand has a mentor assigned because we understand the importance of others modeling a life of discipleship for us, of telling the stories of the faith so that they can learn about faith as they hear others share how God has impacted their lives. We know the power of someone nurturing us as we grow in the faith. An image you might remember from the, the worship service when the confirmants join is, is the confirmant standing before us here and the mentors standing behind them. They're not twisting their arms where only the choir can see. They are standing as a reminder that they support them as each confirmant makes their proclamation of faith. Perhaps you have heard or read some of Tony Campolo's writings. He's an evangelical Christian preacher and writer. He says that when anyone asks, how were you called into ministry, that he tells them about his mother. His mother, he says, growing up, always told him, you were brought into this world to love other people in the name of Jesus Christ, to serve other people, especially the poor and depressed. Do you understand that, Tony? And again and again, she would tell him that. So he tells people, I was never called into ministry. My mother told me I was going into ministry. She made me do it. And he says, people always push back. Your parents can't tell you what to do. And he says, well, my mom did. And he says, why not? Why shouldn't my mother tell me what to do? Peer groups tell us what to do. Social media tells us what to do. Other people in our lives are free to tell us what to do. Why shouldn't my mother have told me you should go 
and serve Christ. Maybe that's what Lois and Eunice did for Timothy. We do not know, but I can imagine the way they may have nurtured him. Lois, Timothy's grandmother, for you Bible scholars note, that's the only time in the Bible grandmother is used, but Lois, his grandmother, can you see her there with with him on her knee or growing up sitting by her as she told him stories? Lots of different stories, perhaps, but certainly stories about Jesus or King David or Abraham or maybe chuckling as she told the story of Esther and how Esther saved God's people by by tricking Haman or being smarter than he was. Timothy, hearing those stories that made him familiar with the God in whom he would come to serve. Timothy hearing those stories that would shape his own understanding of God. Perhaps Eunice did not tell stories. Maybe she was just someone who lived the faith. So he watched her day after day follow Jesus' command to love neighbors, to care for widows and orphans. Maybe in her life, he saw someone who not only said, I believe in the resurrection, but lived her life in that hope, and he could feel and recognize that hope alive in her life. And so he became a person who heard the stories, witnessed the living of faith, and claimed it for his own. Now, I might add, we're not bound by our history. I'm reminded of Frank and Ernest's cartoon. The two are sitting on a park bench. One says, I asked my mother what she'd say if I told her I'd been born again. She said, good, we did it all wrong the first time. (laughs) The demands of our faith, the way we see God at work, changes generation to generation. One of my grandmothers was a Southern Baptist living out her faith in Virginia in the complicated and challenging times of segregation and integration, race relations, and other social issues. When we would spend time there in the summers, we would go to her local Baptist church. Well, actually, we only went half the time. Her brother-in-law was a Presbyterian elder, so, so he talked her into letting us Presbyterians go with him half the time to the Presbyterian church. But every other Sunday growing up in the summers, we would see the Baptist church at work. As I remember time in her church, there were differences in how they did things and thought theologically than I would do and think now. We do not learn the faith by rote memory where we just repeat exactly what we have seen and heard in our time. But we witness the faithfulness of those who have gone before us. And we figure out how to be faithful in our time. How the demands of our time change. How we might see God at work. Can my mother or grandmother make me do it at this point in the sermon? 
The answer is a tentative yes. With the reminder that our faith is ever evolving and must speak to the time and issues in which we live. A final thought. The reference to Timothy as a child of Lois and a child of Eunice reminds us that we are not our own. Like Israel, Professor Santa writes, Timothy is united in his parents, scattered in the tribe, and gathered under the covenant. Our faith is not reduced to just me and Jesus as I profess my faith in Christ. We are connected by that profession to those who came before us and those who will follow us. And we are sent to those who need to know the risen Christ. We cannot escape the connectedness of our faith. The Apostle Paul often uses the image of imitating as a way of growing in the faith. He urges those new Christians to imitate Christ or sometimes even to imitate himself. I like that image of Timothy as he's growing up imitating Eunice, imitating Lois. It also sets the stage for those who will imitate Timothy. Or move it forward to today. It sets the stage for those who will imitate you. A huge responsibility of the faith. I finish with a story Robert Fulgham tells in his book, What on Earth Have I Done? He's staying at a Ritz hotel, and he notices multiple concierges there as you come in, ready to meet all your needs. He imagines that they could get him tickets to the opera. They could find him a private jet to Dubai. They could do whatever he needs. But what he needs is a little less ambitious. He needs a leather wristband for an old watch and one brown shoelace. So he approaches and asks. They are befuddled. They confer. They don't know what to do. Then they go and ask a young woman at the desk who immediately picks up the phone, talks for about a minute, hangs up, and has two addresses, one for the shoelace, one for the watch band he's staying there a few days so later in his stay he goes up to him and says what is it that you know that all the concierges don't know and she told him when all the other information sources of the concierge desk at the Ritz Hotel fail we call my mom <laughs> Eunice and Lois Answering the questions of faith for Timothy. Who are you imitating in your life of faith? Better yet, what are you doing for those who are imitating you? Amen.